0: Hey hey everyone, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show and today we have John McDonald who is a good friend of mine from up in Scotland, he's a he's a Scot that actually has a Scottish accent unlike me, um, I'm sure many of you will enjoy that. Um, he has had a tremendous life, a uh, fascinating journey um, spiritually and I'm really excited to dive in and talk to him about that, I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode and so let's get stuck in. Ah, oh, good to see you. <laughs> you got your hair and makeup on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's just like I need, I need just a little touch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the barbers and that will be closed up your way, are they? No, that's some... thankfully I get my hair cut just before it. But... Right. I did the same when uh, they announced they were going into full lockdown, England again. Um, I literally the next day. I think they announced on the Saturday, and I like Monday morning got up, went to a barber because it was getting yeah. long. You know what I mean? It was already like, oh, I probably should go in the next month or so. Yeah. I'm really bad. I let it get really long, then get it all cut off and then just let it get really long again. I'm, I'm very lazy I, with my hair.
1: I, I used to be like that, but I've gotten into the habit now of, of when I go to the... It's just a little barber's a couple of... It's a lady that runs it. She's really good. Um, And I make an appointment. I say, okay, book me in for four weeks, even though I don't need an appointment. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got that, thoughts. you. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, otherwise, I, yeah, I'd I need
1: like, to do that. <laughs> yeah, otherwise I'd be like, I'll go next week. I'll wait until
0: the month's finished. <laughs> you know, it's like it's—it's <laughs> it's just a constant hassle that you just push push off. You know, you are looking in the mirror and you are like, ah, I am not. I am not hideous. I'll be fine. It's like shaving. <laughs> oh, it is like shaving. Yeah, well, I mine is to, always you know, and- like... <laughs> See, if I could grow it around this side, I would. But yeah, <laughs> I just got little patches here. <laughs> yeah, well, mine starts like creeping up when it gets. Very, like, fuzzy up the top. So, uh, Tills always like, oh, I need a trimmer about the moustache. If you look closely, it kind of oh, comes no, right see. over the lip. I just no does not like that. So like, you can actually see my lip now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. How are you doing? You doing all right? Good, thanks.
1: Yeah. 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 Recovering. We had COVID. So, oh, yeah. but just starting to kind of come out of that. There was, I mean, the symptoms went after a week or so, but... right. Um, just a lot of tiredness, Phil, really sleeping a lot, you know, and yeah. exhausted really easily. But starting to come out of that now, right? You know,
0: yeah, no. I, I mean, when I had it in March, I was about three weeks after no symptoms before I was running upstairs and going, you know, I, I I run everywhere. I don't do anything slow, um, but it was about three weeks before really? I was actually <laughs> running up the stairs and then not realizing, oh yeah, I shouldn't do that because even a couple of weeks afterwards, I'd be I'd run upstairs. I get about halfway now, i like. Oh, my God. And yeah. that's, it's crazy, isn't it, how much it I can be? I know, hate. it's nuts. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really I, I think we've gotten off lightly, you mm. know, um, compared to
1: what I see from other people. But it, for some people, it's the long-term effects that...
0: It's a bit scary, eh, good. some of those, yeah, things that people I thought I'd be
1: in real trouble because I have a, a, a touch of asthma. Right. Now. Um, but yeah. I've, been all, I've been all right. Th- yeah. Thank God, you know.
0: Yeah, one of my close friends has asthma and he is like, and it's very bad actually. Um, but he Mm -hmm. has just like locked himself down. Like we haven't seen him since March basically. Um, but he, he contacted like the asthma clinic or whatever it is. And they said like, I wouldn't risk it, you know, maybe see your family or whatever in the garden occasionally, but like, I just wouldn't risk being around to new people. Wow. So they've suggested to shields himself. Yeah. Wow. So, but I guess, I mean, there's a whole range of asthma, isn't there? And, uh, yeah. yeah 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 so um yeah. but yes yeah, it's it's, it's what i was talking to um one of my partners yesterday do skypes every now and again and uh i think their sister had it and she's now got like copd from it wow um, so like got like long-term lung yeah. effects now so uh oh yeah it's, just, it's wow. crazy how it hits different people like in different I mean, ways copd is what you expect minors of someone to get you know like yeah. dust and everything yeah yeah that's crazy it's really full on. Um, but yeah. I, apparently she was pretty lucky as well because she was in a coma and all sorts of... I mean, it's just... Wow, the stories that but, you hear... And, and obviously you, the ones you hear are the crazy, right? They don't... No one hears, like, minor year stories where, you know, you yeah. get better and it's relatively fine. Um, but, like, it's, it's such a range, isn't it? But I guess it's probably like that with a lot of things, isn't it? I guess the problem
1: is, though, if they... If they- if they put our, like our stories on the news, yeah, three weeks, and everyone's out going, yeah, COVID, well, a few weeks <laughs> off work. You know, it's like... It
0: feels like a lot of people are like that <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's what, do you mean the are, what do you mean the pubs are closed? <laughs> exactly. Well, I was talking to one of my neighbours just after I'd had it, back in April, I think it was, and he was saying that his his son's wife's mother had just died of COVID. And they were having garden parties every day still and they're they're older older people like i you know have one of them has very big problems with their lungs and her heart um and i'm just like you actually know someone that died of this and you're still like ah but yeah but it's just the flu really isn't it and it'd be fine and and i was like if if i had a higher chance of getting the flu with your conditions i'd be a bit careful (laughs) to be honest (laughs) with you um but they're they're still with us and lots of i mean yeah um but it's it's fascinating how different people approach these kind of situations. Yeah. I'm a very cautious person. Till is less cautious than me, so we kind of like she's like whatever the regulations are, I will live within those. Just whereas I am like I'm going to go a whole other level of caution. I'm very like I'm very safe right. uh, uh, driven, a safety driven person for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll go to the boundaries yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, you're, you're like Till. Tell- I won't <laughs> step over, but I not
1: step over them.
0: Well, I don't know if, if Till wasn't married to me, I don't know. <laughs> should be very testy of you <laughs> this is no we'll, we'll put this onto the podcast and put it out there everyone <laughs> message Chilly and tell her to, to stay in the rules um no she, she's always like oh what's the rules? is there any chance the rules changing this week you know i mean she's constantly wanting to see friends or do something and I'm, yeah. i am as well i mean um, i'm I'm pretty introverted and
1: i don't really miss people but i'm um, i really want to see people now you know? yeah
0: yeah, it gets to the point for any introvert where you're like, okay, no, I'm not introverts anymore. So this is the
1: first of people. <laughs> I mean, if it hadn't been for the fact that Fiona's in my life, I, I probably would have been going nuts by now. Yeah. But because yeah. I've got that company, I've got someone else to, to bounce off and talk to, then it's made it more tolerable.
0: Yeah. No, same for me. Absolutely. Um, and I think, I think just Tilly... I think both Tilly and I are both like, okay, yeah, but enough of you. Let's have some friends as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that that's, it, even that finds its limits, doesn't it? Where you're suddenly like, okay, yes, but not bored of you, but that tank yeah. is full. And I've got a different tank that yep. is new people with new yeah. experiences and different stories. I mean, Fiona's <laughs> been fortunate in that she's, she's been working until, yeah, of course. you know,
1: she, she contracted the COVID. Yeah probably from me but hey <laughs> <laughs> oh, I keep trying to I keep trying to no nah, you probably got it from the janitor you <laughs> know yeah <laughs> I think yeah.
0: she actually got it from me oh uh, well Till's like got this constitution where like she just doesn't get ill very much and when she does get ill like you'll be like she, I'll be like you've been a bit like sluggish the last three days you got up like half an hour later than usual and things like that and she's like oh yeah I've got really bad colds but it's fine and I'm like you kidding me? You know, I'm like, I have a slight sniffle and I'm like, I'm out. It's I'm not out. a man cold, no. Phil. That's it. That's not it. Not man flu. Someone I mean, was telling me that other day, I was in a documentary and they were saying there's something to do with estrogen levels, um, that affects how you process the cold. Right. Um, that's and that's why actually men, I think there's a component uh of whatever everyone feeding on a, a thing or a people certain people like to be babied a bit more or whatever. But there is a component where actually that the they um because they have lower estrogen generally speaking, they they um really do fight the cold better when they're pampered or they get that touch or oh. all these different components that boost your estrogen. And so um uh, there might be something That's there. But... Yeah. <laughs> Either way I, I want any excuse I can to be a big baby oh. when I'm cold because oh. I when I've got a cold I'm just like rub my head and say poor little bunny that's it? yeah that's a great sketch that's great isn't it oh it's absolutely amazing yeah he's got his little bell yeah, oh. then, <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it John how much time have you got today have you got a, a good chunk of time I've um, <clears throat> got a free morning okay great we well, usually hour and a half two hours something yeah. in like that window but yeah we'll see how it goes but uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really, really stoked. I want to, I want to expose people to your story because you've got an amazing story. Um, and uh, and then God, yeah, talk about everything and anything. I mean, this, see where the, it goes. The, yeah. Where we can go is exciting. Um, I, I, did yeah. great, I did a great um chat yesterday with a lady
1: called Natalie Collins, who works okay. with um, in the area of domestic abuse. Oh wow! Oh, fabulous. I mean, probably talked for about 90 minutes or something. But
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Is it so? Because quite often I'll do Post Recording ed- The editing and stuff But I, th- yeah. I think I'm like
0: I don't think I want to edit any of this <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> Good uh, I love I love when you Sit down with someone on the podcast <gasps> And I mean Pretty much any of my podcasts I'm, I enjoy I just want to like You know Tell yeah. you a story Kind of thing But there's certain people that you just click with And you just uh, And then you look at the clock And you're like Crap yeah. I have to stop And I don't want to Um those I, mean, are I could have spoken with her for another hour.
1: There was so much more we could have talked yeah. about. So, oh, and oh, wow! You know, so sorry. I, achieve it.
0: I'll be, I'll get that up before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, big topic that one. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're, you're um, doing quite a variety of things. Then, as yeah. I as thought, initially, I,
1: I thought I was, I was going to set this up to just do like Father's Love kind of thing. I thought, do you know what? there's so much more going on mm. that all I'm going to do is preach to the choir if all I do is talk about the Father's love. You know, uh, that might inform a lot of what I believe and what I do, but actually there's so much more and, you know, just being connected, I've been connecting with trans women on, and trans men on Twitter and all that kind of stuff and, you know, those ones who are on the other side of the debate of the whole gender spectrum thing who are saying like, no, you're you're harming Trans people, you know, with all yeah, this yeah, yeah. fetishism and stuff. So it's just been fascinating. I'm just like, man, do I, do I dare get one of those guys on the podcast?
0: <laughs> are, are, you, are your audience ready for that? Uh, I know, well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's
1: like, and I don't care about losing listeners or something, but but I want it to be something that people will be like, wow, you know, this is, I'm learning yeah. stuff here. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah. Deb- I'm debating with myself about whether to get one of those guys
0: on yeah girls yeah oh, i'm so like i had someone on recently um and, and i kept saying guys or or stuff like, or hey man or whatever and they were they um like um like just uh pan they didn't identify as it was just they or whatever and they were like oh it's fine don't worry about it but like you, the fact you're aware is, is a yeah. big deal but oh, i'm like the, the, the defaults we have of like oh hey guys and you're talking to a group of like three women and you're like why did I say guys like I need to kill that somehow I've, I'm, I've, I'm trying to train myself to say hi folks or something you know? yeah 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 it's a big one isn't it folks yeah, yeah.
1: so not not yeah. even like hi hi ladies or but just keep it yeah. neutral and delete. but yeah. yeah I slip into oh guys that's brilliant and it's like oh, they're not guys
0: yeah. Ah, uh, it's, yeah, I, I think a lot of people have a lot of grace, but, uh, especially yeah. when you're conscious and you're, and you're trying, but, uh, that's, that's a huge deal though, isn't it? When you, cause I went through this massively with my ministry is, um, when I was running a very Christian ministry, like, and like you, and in a lot of ways, like, uh, what, what you're saying there, of, like the danger of preaching to a choir, that was me for a long time, just preaching uh-huh. to this choir. Um, and the choir was growing. It was a bigger choir, but it was the same people believing the same things that just yep. wanted to hear what I had to say and be pat themselves on the back for already believing it, basically. Yeah. Um, and then you you realize, oh, I want to move people to where I am, which is a very different place in a lot of ways. Yep. But if I just give them where I'm at, so many of them are just going to walk away and there's maybe a path I can take them on. Maybe I don't expose them to the full extent of this. Maybe I... Um, expose them to some ideas or maybe expose them to someone that's maybe going to um, challenge them but not shock them to the extent where they're yeah. like, oh, yes. John's a heretic, I'm done. Like, how do you navigate that? Like, how, how are you, because that feels like maybe something that you're trying to get your head around now. Like, yeah, I'm, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think I'm just coming to the point, Phil, where I'm like, you know what? I don't want to upset people, but unless I'm, I need to be true to myself. Mm. be free to say like this is who i am this is where i'm at not to throw something in someone's face but to just be like you know what these are the areas where i am uncomfortable with traditional christianity or yeah modern christianity if you like you know um and try and approach it from that perspective so that people are like yeah they have been a little bit uncomfortable with that and and once you get over that hurdle you can start to say and this is where my thinking is going, you know, that's, mm. that's what I'm trying to do. Um, yeah. I'm sure I'll get it wrong. I'll upset people, but hey, I've upset people before and I'm still
0: alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, I guess, yeah, we're both probably well-versed in upsetting people, but it's a real tricky thing because like, you just like, it's just a very natural human reaction not to want to push people away, yeah. to upset people, to hurt yeah, people. And like, and yet, it's probably on some level part of the parcel. Some people are going to get hurt. Some people are going to go. That's it. Oh, I knew that John was up to no good, or I knew he was a bit. Of a, I knew he was a snake in the grass, or whatever. You know, yeah. there's going to be yep. some people. But I, maybe there's always been those people, anyway. Um, but, think, but it does think, feel a bit more. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go for it. That's okay. I, I think what I'm doing and what you're doing, I think there's a prophetic edge to it as well, though, Phil. Mm. You know, where Tell me about that. Um, it's challenging the prevalent spirit. Uh, to say... Because I I think there is a... a, 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 I use the language because it's what people understand, but there's a... I don't mean a demonic spirit, I just mean a spirit up in the people in modern religion which is happy with the narrative that they have. And I think the prophetic comes to disturb the narrative Mm. and set people... Not necessarily to say these are the answers, but perhaps saying these are the questions you should be asking, you know? Yeah. So I I think from that perspective, there's a a bit of a prophetic edge in uh, cutting against the the prevalent spirit within religion. Well, the religion we're familiar with is Christianity, you know? Um, I don't even like being called a Christian anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's got so many negative connotations,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 agree. There is this kind of like, I'm a Christian. Oh, you're a uh, X, Y, Z. I mean, the, 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 you're this, they you're suddenly this, fill yeah. in this book, you know, they can go, Oh, John is, uh, uh, hypocritical. He's, uh, judgmental. He's, you know, whatever, whatever head. their experience <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Maybe, maybe their experience is like, I know some like conventional Christians would meet you and they're like, "Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, he's the best thing ever. He's safe. He's you know he believes in the Lord. He's he's a Bible believing Christian." Or you know, like, so different people will have a different checklist when they hear that word. But uh yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's, it's a really problematic. Yeah. Um, but I think opponent. It's
1: interesting that he
0: believes the Bible. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. They might get in real trouble ticking either either type of box. <laughs> Um, uh,
1: but yeah, I believe that Paul was right when he said the scriptures are useful for instruction and training but beyond that I'm not sure <laughs> that's funny like the, the manual for your microwave um. <laughs> uh, I know. yeah I know it doesn't say that but if you press that button it works anyway
0: <laughs> I love it that's funny well John why don't you uh, kind of um Maybe, maybe we should dive into some of your stories so people can kind of get to know, like, um, where you came from, how you got involved in Christianity and, and then, mm-hmm. you know, how you have shifted into a place where you're like, oh, I don't really like that word Christianity, actually. Um, like what was, what was, what was some of the journey? Like where, where did you start out? You didn't start out in church, mm-hmm. uh, good lads every, every Sunday on the no, Wednesdays, I, on the, I, sun, I, on the Fridays, you know, <laughs> I, I was every I meeting.
1: I guess I, I was, I was just a, a kind of nice kid until my dad died when I was 11. I grew up in working class Glasgow. Uh, lots of gangs, a lot of, you know, in the 60s. I, I was in primary school in the 60s. Um, teenager in the 70s. Uh, probably a year or two after my dad died, I started to hang out with the gangs. Uh, by the time I was 12, I was drinking. I, you know, had knives held at my throat and all sorts of things. Um i been bullied a little bit as a kid, so that kind of gave me an angry edge as well as the, the death of my dad giving me this angry edge. I uh, saw, so yeah, it was a little bit wild taking time off school when I felt like I didn't want to go anymore. <laughs> I think we moved we moved from Glasgow to Cumbernauld in 1975. Yeah, 75. And so I knew we were moving in the December so, I just didn't go to school when it started again in August. You know, I just thought, that, yeah, I'm leaving anyway, so what's the point? <laughs> um, uh, left school, got a couple of jobs. I mean, this was the 70s when I left school, yeah. so you walked out of one job and into another one if you wanted to. So, mm. I, I think within the first couple of years, of my working life, by the time I was 18, I'd had like four or five jobs. <laughs>
0: wow. You know, because it's What what was that for? Like that you kind of ended up bouncing around so much? Do you think? I was just restless. I,
1: I was yeah. um what people might call rebellious, uh disregard for authority, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, you know, no one's gonna tell me what to do. Um yeah. I'll punch the ref and lights out. <laughs> um and really that's the way my teens went uh i was drinking heavily probably around the age of 15 or 16 probably 16 17 uh, i got into drugs uh, mainly dope and then i discovered sulfate you know speed powder um uh, acid mushrooms I was still doing a bit of dope, occasionally a bit of cocaine, um, and just, I was very hedonistic by the time I reached my late teens, um, yeah. got we Were you to- having
0: a good time, you know, because there's this, this idea um, in the teens of going wild and having that crazy season, and- some are especially when drugs There's a there's kind of like two narratives there isn't there? there's the narrative of like oh they were trying to just destroy themselves and numb everything and the other one is the kind of more hedonistic of like i'm just trying to have fun and explore and i think it was a like, bit of both actually yeah. Phil. okay my life
1: i kept myself busy because uh and i think a lot of us do this today in society we don't want to look at what's inside mm. don't want to Deal with the pain or the the regrets or the fears or any of those things, and so we we find something else to occupy our time. You know, whether it's alcohol, whether it's hedonism, whether it's work, or or DIY about the house. You know, whatever. Yeah, we yeah Find yeah. things to distract us from the real issues, which are inter- which are mostly internal. To be honest, yeah, yeah. I know circumstances can uh, create difficulties for us, but actually, the real issues are internal issues. Um mm. I didn't understand that back then but it on reflection that I was I was trying to distract myself from my issues but also I was a, I was a young guy I was looking for a good time you know yeah. so alcohol drugs parties nightclubs girls um yeah that was part of it but th- there were times when I, I I would be in the bar with my friends and I, and I hung out with guys who were in bands and all of that kind of stuff as well you know um local scottish bands um and I just felt so alone. Yeah, in the midst of all of this partying you know. Uh, and I was there were nights, especially closer to the time when I, I, I became a believer. I, I just was bored with it, you know. But yeah. but what else do I do? I, I've got no qualifications. I left school with like two O levels, you know. <laughs> um, so I've no qualifications. I, I'm doing jobs, you know. Working behind the bar, cooking in a kitchen, washing pots in a hotel, you know, working in a concrete factory. I even yeah. worked at a funeral suppliers, wow. at Robertson Street in Glasgow. Uh, uh, I even worked in the circus. Okay. I,
0: I worked a <laughs> I season it. up in
1: Aviemore. I went up to Aviemore in June 78 uh, and worked in a few of the hotels and stuff there, and the circus came in to, to Aviemore. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to go and ask them if there's any work going. Um, so I worked with them for a, a month or so. Uh, Were you on your unicycle juggling or? <laughs> no, I, was one of the, I hate I hate using this term, but it's what I was. I was one of the ring boys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you know when the elephant pooped in the in the ring, I would yeah. Run someone's got to scoop horse, poop it up and all that. You know all that kind of stuff. And you had to do it a certain. Way. You had to get this, turn the sole of your foot so that the shovel would go against the sole of your foot and scrape up the dung. And yeah. you know, you told the cut curtain clothes before you let the horses out and all this kind of thing. You know, and you know, Love yeah. It. So, so I had a, 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 a quite a varied career.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds it for sure. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I ran my own second-hand clothes business and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, when I get into my twenties, I was doing that. Uh, I lost everything in a fire. I don't don't know if you you would know Glasgow at that time, but uh, they had a What Every Woman Wants store on Argyle Street and the building was all shored up. So I, I, we rented a flat in that building and it burned down like a few days after we, we moved in actually. Perfect. Uh, so I, woke, I woke up and my bed was in fire. Wow. Two o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous. I managed to get my, my flatmates out. Myself and our male flatmate, we shared a bedroom. It was a huge room. And the girl that was sharing the flat with us had her own room. So I got the, them out. And, I mean, back then I slept naked. So it was like, I'm standing in the stairs with all this plaster and glass falling around me. And this copper's like, right, on you come, son. You're okay. And I was like, no, I'm not going out here. Like, I'm not going out there like this. Give me your coat. So he gave me his coat. <laughs> so
0: that I, I <laughs> no, don't get out. It's bad enough to get out of my beard. It's a good call, feet, good call.
1: But my beard backside as well. <laughs> <It was> like...
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I remember. terrible.
1: I remember we slept in one of my friend's flats. Um, he was the manager of the Bluebells, you know, young at heart and all that kind of stuff. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, yeah.
1: So we slept, in, we slept in his flat and there were other kids sleeping there. Uh, so we got up in the morning, we chatting, and, and they just assumed we were the Bluebells, my flatmate and me. <laughs> So we were like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, Bobby's not here. <laughs> so
0: yeah, those stupid things like that. You know? I love it. Um, I, I love it. it. So it. so where did you how did you this all suddenly shift into the Christian world? Like how how did you stumble across it was you know, did you did you seek that of, out? Or did no, I think find you? Although a
1: although my family weren't religious, really but my, my dad's family were Roman Catholic. My mum's family were all Orangemen and Masons and stuff. So right. a bit of a mixture in 1960s Glasgow. Uh, but part of the, the deal of, of my mum and dad marrying in the Roman Catholic Church was that the kids would be brought up Roman Catholic. Okay. Um, so I did all that, scouts, you know, boys Catholic Boys Club and all that kind of stuff. Um Nothing ever happened to me, by the way, listeners. (laughs) No one did anything to me. Uh, But I kind of just, when my dad died, it was empty. Mm. No meaning in it for me. So I just stopped. I stopped going to to mass on a Sunday. I jumped the fence uh, and go up to my friend's house, you know, and it's the old thing you'd meet someone and say, like, okay, what colour were the priest's vestments and all that kind of stuff? You know? it's like, <laughs> get your alibi story. My mum never quizzed me, but it was just in case. You just know? in case. Just in case, uh, yeah. I mean, even when I went, I didn't understand what the priest was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know? I was an yeah, altar boy yeah. for a few years and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. but so that and that I think I, that's when I started to get involved in the gangs and alcohol and everything else. The violence. You know, by the time I was 17, I'd been stabbed. Uh, I had all my teeth knocked out in a gang attack by a, a group of guys in, in town. Um, I have two of my original teeth, that's it.
0: Wow. Uh, well, that explains your perfect smile, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to mine, it's a bit more higg- higgledy-piggledy. That's what I should have done as a teenager, got a good knockout. Uh,
1: you can have out. a sparkle
0: later. That's it, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but um, Fantastic. So... With the drugs and the partying and everything else, I began to bump into a lot of friends from the the schemes that were lived. But this time, I'd, I'd moved away from the schemes. I moved left, Cumbernauld, was living in uh, bed sits in in the West End of Glasgow, um, trying to be cultured, going to the Citizen's Skate and all that kind of stuff. But still, willing to punch anyone's lights out that tried anything.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so I was a bit of a yeah, a, a hybrid creature. Yeah. Um, Looking, I was, I was still looking for what. Who am I? I guess. Yes. Again, I, on reflection, I was looking for who am I. Where do I fit in this world? You know. Um, and so I, I started meeting all of these guys who I used to know from gangs and from the the, the housing schemes, and they're all talking to me about Jesus. Now I couldn't get far enough away from them. And I was like, man, these guys have done too much acid. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd go into the pub to try and get away from them, and they'd come into the pub and sit and drink orange juice and stuff. I was right. Like, They're fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> They're nuts. You know, it's like, but I, but I guess it was speaking to something in my heart that I didn't even know was there. You know, um, and I, then I met Fiona, who's now my wife. This was March '85. Mm. Um, I was up to no good, and her friend introduced us and stuff. You know want to see on camera what no good I was up to. Saturate <laughs> <laughs> limitations has kicked in, I'm sure. <laughs> that's sure. Well, a friend was buying something from me. Um, that's funny. A work colleague of yours. It was a place where I frequented and, and did a little bit of selling. <laughs> um, and so we started dating, and you know, a few. I started sleeping up at her her house in our brother's bedroom and reading his books. And I read a couple of books. I read all of his books, and I'm talking like The Secret Seven, The Famous Five, because there yeah. was all these Christian books and I just wasn't going to near them. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually eventually, I thought, oh, I'll read some of the Christian books. This one looks good, Hell's Angel. Uh, a guy called, is it Brian Greenaway? I think it's Brian Greenaway, the guy's name is. Uh, he was a Hell's Angel, drugs, okay. alcohol, violence, you know, Ended up in prison, found Jesus in prison, and all that kind of stuff. It really impacted me, uh, mm. which I wasn't expecting. And then I read um, Nicky Cruz's book, Run Baby Run. Yeah, yeah. Again, the violence, the and I think he talked a lot about what was going on inside him, and and that really connected with me. Mm. And then I think Fiona's brother had to be November '85. He was preaching at their local Church of Scotland, Presbyterian Church. And um, they said, Do you want to come? And I was like, Okay. You know, so I went with Fiona's family, and I'm sitting here in the church. And Fiona's part of the Girls Brigade, so they have a Girls Brigade parade. So they're over here in the church. I'm sitting myself. Like,
0: It's still worse, isn't it? When someone brings you to church and they're like, Oh, I've got actually, um, I'm on that duty, yeah. and I'm doing that, so uh, good luck. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> Left on your own.
1: This is rubbish. I never go to church now except at Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. usually get skinful. <laughs> um And he just tell, told a very simple story about Jesus coming into the world and, you know, and I find myself saying, I wouldn't say I, I prayed a sinner's prayer. I was just like, you know what, God, I've done everything else. I've done sex and drugs and rock and roll and politics and, you know, socialism and right on brother and all that kind of stuff. And, okay let's give this a go let's I'm, I'm willing to give this a try yeah and i remember before i left the church i had this really weird thought really persistent strong thought you need to see, stop sleeping with your girlfriend that's like that's nonsense what a lot of rubbish uh but it was really persistent you know mm. and i I went. We went back to Fiona's mum's house. That Sunday dinner was at Fiona's mum's house, and like relatives would come over and all the rest of it, you know. Mm. Um And so Fiona and I are in the kitchen. She's like listening to say something. I was like, I need to say something that's like really weird. I said, like, I keep thinking we need to stop sleeping together. And she was like, she just looked at me and I was like, what? She said that's what I was going to say. <laughs>
0: so
1: that freaked me out because I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, shit, this God stuff's real. Yeah. What. I mean, what are the chances that I'm sitting here thinking that and she's sitting there thinking that? And it's like, oh, no way. Yeah. What I didn't know was wow. that during the time I was saying to God, okay, I've tried everything else. I felt fear fear God was saying to her, okay, you need to choose between me and him. Mm. And she, she was going to dump me. <laughs> she chose
0: God. <laughs> It's unbelievable, John. I mean, you didn't match up to God. I mean, mean, what's the the guy got that I don't? Exactly. Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. So, and then, you know, I
1: I phoned, it's funny, I phoned my my, my friend who I'm still friends with and still connect with today, even though he lives down in South End. I phoned him up. I was I was, I was in a, an amateur dramatics thing at Langside College and I was there one night and I got a, you know to the, the pay phone, there was a phone number. I phoned him up and was like, John, I've done it and he was like, oh no you're in trouble, you're in a jail and
0: yeah, I was like, is this no, your no, no I've done
1: it, I've done it and he was like, calm down, tell me what's happened and I was like, I became a Christian <laughs>
0: <laughs> he thought I was in jail or something That's That's <laughs> that I so murdered funny. someone or something <laughs> wow so did you it feels like initially this is a very like tentative like i've tried everything else there's something about this maybe i'll give it a shot like did you dive kind of straight in did you go all right if i'm going to do this i'm going to do it or was it very much a kind of like oh i'll just kind of well to church every now and again and a lot of those
1: friends of mine um had been part of a nazarene church in govan and in the summer of 85 it just seemed God was, was doing stuff amongst all these young people and lots of them were becoming believers and they wanted to do something in the, the scheme where they came from. Mm. So um, they went back to start something called Street Mission. It's now actually the Glasgow Vineyard, but it, back then it started as a street mission. and um, So we started travelling on the, the number nine bus from Blair Darde in the north-west of Glasgow down to... In the southwest of Glasgow, uh, and ha- just with and I remember, you know, it was like happy clappy stuff. It wasn't charismatic or anything. I remember standing one day, like doing the clapping, and suddenly thinking, "This is like the Mormons. I've joined a cult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a cult." You know, it was like <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, but very quickly, I, um, I was teaching the kids and stuff and and just recognised that I had something in communication mm-hmm. and so God began to give me stuff to, to, to speak so I, would, I started preaching and stuff like that and so I did dive in had uh, the tracts in the back pocket and the Bible in the nice. other back pocket and you know I stand at bus stops to complete strangers going do you know Jesus? <laughs> you know God loves you they'd be like <laughs> right you became
0: that guy <laughs> uh,
1: unfortunately i did yes i knocked on doors i hated knocking on doors but you know, you had to wow. do it you're safe to yeah serve.
0: yeah i think every every human on the planet that is, is been through christianity in some way shape or form knows that that feeling of like i don't want to do this but i have to do it and has yeah. thrown themselves into some form of a uh, weird evangelist i even uh, went at i t- did t-
1: pre- preaching at, at outside uh what's now the the glasgow um, Museum of Modern Art but back yeah. then was the it was the old Stirling Library so I did some street preaching out there and I hated it again but I had to do it I can't like, even imagine this is what Christians do
0: you know Yeah, yeah. is that at, like literally get your soapbox get up less than high and start yelling but, at people like, not I did not stand quickly, on but, a box yeah. thankfully no okay but, but it,
1: it was like you know this is what Christians do they shout at strangers in the street and tell them they're they're horrible, and they're going to die and burn in the lake of fire, yeah. and
0: you know. You got to convince them they're pieces of crap, for, so they can get saved, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Save good people.
1: No. Yeah, how can you tell people the good news unless you tell them the bad news first?
0: <laughs> I actually read that once. Yeah. Oh, I, I might have even said that at some point. In my so like that, I've heard that a lot, so I'm like, it might have been from my own mouth at one point. Um, I'm, I'm sure. Gosh, oh, no. it's so terrible. Yeah, isn't? I'm, I'm, that's the way you think. <laughs> so that that
1: was kind of November 85 when I decided, okay, God, I'm going to go for it. And then by 87, I felt, I mean, I became a believer in in November 85. I remember sitting in in a a New Year's Eve watch night service in uh, in a Glasgow church on New Year's Eve of 85. I remember turning to Fiona, watching this guy preach, and I'm I'm no joke, he had on a white suit and this silver grey hair and all it was like Was it Benny Head? Oh, <laughs> no no, I think Benny would have been too much for me then. Oh,
0: I mean I think Benny's too much for most people at all times. <laughs>
1: but but um and I remember turning to Fiona and saying, This is weird, but I think God wants me to be a minister. And she looked at me and said, Yeah, I know, and then started listening to the preacher again. That freaked me out. I was like, how did she know? I've only just found out. so so funny yeah 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 (laughs) so there's this growing sense of like and of course the the only uh, perception i had was of a priest or a or a a reverend or something you know right and so i started thinking about do i need to go to bible training school and all that kind of stuff i went for an interview with faith mission in 86 actually uh over in edinburgh and they said I could go there, but I would have to postpone my wedding, and they don't think I should get married
0: be- until I've done this. So I told them where to stick their college. Yeah. Um, well, you were still not sleeping together, right? So I mean, like, you no. to sack you guys. <laughs> we're getting married. Come on, <laughs> dude! I can't hold out much longer.
1: <laughs> oh, bless. So, um, eventually, I went to the Elam. Bible College, which was then down in Nantwich in Cheshire. It's moved to the Malverns now. But So I spent three years there. Uh, didn't go into the ministry with them because at the time I was teetotal.
0: Mm-hmm. I've
1: gone through various periods in my life where I've been teetotal for a year, a couple of years, you know, and this was one of them. But in their constitution, you had to sign that uh, that you would be teetotal. And you also had to sign that you believed in the premillennial. Okay. Yeah. You know, which was very typical Pentecostal from the 1920s. Um, and I, I said, well, I am teetotal, but I don't think that should be written into your constitution. I think that's a uh, an infringement in people's rights to choose for themselves. Uh, and also said, I don't believe in the premillennial thing. Said, what do you believe then? Do you believe this, this, or this? And I was like, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I just, no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, that doesn't make sense to me That's well, that, that goes to show how well they
0: taught uh, on their <laughs> eschatology the was, I guess, cool. the, thing,
1: the thing was a lot of the the lecturers who were lecturing just didn't believe it anymore they believed no. it when they went in but they had to start preaching it and when they started studying it, they thought nah I don't, I don't, believe I don't that. think this is it for me yeah. anyway you
0: know um, I remember my, uh, I don't know if I should say this, but I know, who cares? No one's listened to this. My dad, um, when he uh, left, so he left the Baptist church and but he was certified as a Baptist pastor and so he um, ended up joining an AOG church but he needed to get certified as a pastor so he could still do weddings or something. I can't remember how. Yeah, yeah. um, but anyway, so he's like, oh, I'll just get certified AOG and he talked to the pastor and the pastor like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll talk to some people and we'll get you in. And so they got him in and everything and then my dad looking at the 12th, Points. you have to write a short paragraph uh, essay on each of the 12 yes, points and I did that. some of them I can't, yeah. think some of them is you you have to uh, believe that speaking in tongues is evidence of uh, faith you have to you know and I think end times is in there as well and so I think those were his two ones that he was like well, he's like I'm not sure he's like I I speak in tongues he's like I, I believe that people can speak in tongues I believe anyone can speak. And I don't believe it's evidence of faith I think you can have faith and not speak in not speaking tongues yeah. um and uh and, and so he goes to the past he's like What's the deal he's like, I don't believe like three out of 12 of these, or whatever, two out of 12 of these. And he's like, just write an essay on it, doesn't matter, does it? And I'm like, that's the pastor of this church. And it's just because the sure, show, like, so many people that these like rigid kind of organizations that are like, ah, whatever, yep. really, right? Um, it's fascinating. I, I, to me, really I know fascinating. at the time that I, that
1: I was at that college that the leader, the general superintendent, liked a beer. <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. So fascinating how we can, uh, yeah. The, 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 at that point, it's rules for rules' sake. Yeah. You know? If people aren't doing it. Or, that's
1: what they did in the 1920s when they set the movement up. And it's never mm-hmm. cha- it, well, it's changed. Well, it's changed, it's changed a lot now. But up until that point, it hadn't really been challenged. Yeah. But mm-hmm. myself, a handful of other people didn't go into the ministry then because of things mm-hmm. like that. And it yeah. began to be brought to the attention of the, the assembly, uh, you know, yeah. the annual conferences. Yeah. So,
0: so Elam's like a more Pentecostal church, right? I mean, so I mean, yeah. it is Pentecostal. So, I mean, was that something that you like had been exposed to at this point? Was was that quite a shock to you, the whole kind of Pentecostal charismatic kind um, of um, world? When, it, when I when became a believer, the, the
1: things that I was... We, People were introducing me to read were people at like Samuel Brengel and stuff from the Salvation Army, people, things like that, the Holiness Movement. And there was a big focus on holiness and mm. all that. But then we, now <laughs> we started going over to Drumchapel. And um, to, now was that later? I can't remember now. But no, over to a church in Drumchapel that was charismatic. Okay. Yeah. Called New Life. It's not there now, but. Um, and began to get exposed to some charismatic stuff and we thought a lot of this is weird. I mean I remember yeah, yeah. Going on the show there's a, a video of Benny Hinn preaching about the 10 plagues and all that kind of stuff and I just thought he's mental. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't well, this the early
0: charismatic, I mean like yeah, you yeah. know the 80s charismatic movements really kind of birthing around the 70s, I mean like it's, it's yeah, not it's a big young. deal at this point, most people haven't been exposed to it's a lot of it. And, and yeah. so
1: yeah. I'm just thinking I Don't even have a clue what this guy's talking about in this video. <laughs> um, oh. but but I, I was devouring Christian stuff, you know, uh, quite voraciously, and people were kind of like impressed by how quickly I was mm. in my knowledge, mm. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> which is how we measure it, isn't it? We measure it by yeah, knowledge, no, not we, by do. The, we do not by the life, um, but and so. When we went on honeymoon, the first week of our honeymoon, the church were very generous. They paid for a, a caravan at Loch Lomond, a week's groceries, all that kind of stuff. Really, really nice. Um, and then the second week, we all went, as a church, we went to the Filey Bible Week in Skagnes. And, you know, people like Clive Calvert and those kind of guys were talking. Johnny, uh, who was a trumpeter that played in the jazz clubs? Roy Castle? You okay, know, yeah. people like that were, were there. And it was quite, a, it was it was enjoyable, actually, you know. Um, but that's where we, we heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so people were getting prayed for. And people were praying for me. I could feel this intense heat and pressure. And, but because I was expecting to speak in tongues, nothing was coming out. Mm. So I was like, that's not happening to me. I discovered later, Fiona was just sitting quietly in the corner of the room and the spirit came upon her and she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And i trying to make That's it happen. So <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> I mean, it was later, my friend's bedroom, put his hands, his hands on me, and I started speaking in tongues and stuff uh, much later, you know. but So so that That's was so where funny. I began to get exposed to charismatic things. Um, so I guess the leap to Pentecostalism wasn't such a huge leap for sure. me
0: because I was already beginning to understand prophecy and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, and I guess exposure to holiness stuff, I mean, that's really big in Pentecostal circles. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a perfect blend in a sense. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, wow. I spent three years there, every year
1: I wanted to leave and God just kept saying, I told you to stay for three years. And it was good for me, you know, because when I became a believer, I had come out of a life of hedonism. So mm. I was used to getting out of bed at two o'clock in the afternoon, um, unless it was Saturday, I'd get up at ten, so because the pub opened at eleven, and I'd spend all day in the pub, and then come home, get changed, and go to the, go to a nightclub. Sometimes I didn't go home and get changed; I just went to the nightclub. <laughs> um, and so my body was in this crazy rhythm, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so it was good for me that way and that discipline. Yeah. And I remember one of the guys telling me that. The student council wanted me to to come on the student council and be, a, but the 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 faculty were like, no, he's trouble. <laughs> so because I, I as is that to put it in the King James language, I kicked against the pricks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, that's that's not what I mean. The faculty were <laughs> we just no, yeah, I I, <laughs> I kicked against authority, and and they just thought it would stir up too much trouble
0: yeah
1: you know uh, oh, so the vote
0: was rigged <laughs> so it's still part of your 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 dynamic as well though you 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 hadn't changed in a lot of ways in in your like your nature of like you, you still were pushing against authority you're still challenging yeah. authority yeah um it's interesting because i mean that's a big thing that gets uh, there's a strong attempt to squash that in not um, I wouldn't say that it's a, a manipulative, controlling. The leaders are trying to squash people like that. But I just think it as a system. When you go yeah. into a big organization like that, generally speaking, that kind of thing yeah. gets squashed down. Um, so it's really interesting that like you. I remember, I remember. I remember. I, I kind of got this shaggy perm thing. You know, like kind of Stone Roses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hair.
1: And I remember getting pulled into the principal's office and and kind of saying like, you know, you. It heard me preaching, it was like, You know, you've got something to say, people need to hear you, but but they're not going to relate to you with that. You need to get your hair cut and stuff. And there was just like, <laughs> You know, yeah, like, over my dead body. Seriously, that's that's your problem. Yeah. I need a haircut, you know. Um, while I was in pro- close to the start of my second year at, at college, there's a little church that was struggling. And they asked the church, did they who did they want to come and help them? They asked for me. I preached there in my first year and they must have liked what they heard and what they saw. Uh so I spent the rest of my years at college pastoring that little church. Mm. Um I shouldn't have been. They needed someone with experience to to build it and everything else. Uh but it was a difficult time for them, difficult time for me. Yeah. Um But eventually I graduated, you know, uh, while I was there, Fiona was working. She worked, first of all, in the kitchens there, having just graduated as a teacher. (laughs) Mm. But then she became the nursery teacher. So she spent a couple of years there as a nursery teacher. Mm. Back up to Glasgow. um, Obviously, I'm not going to ministry with Elam. I I ended up in the Social Security. So I was there for, I think... From early 92 through to middle of 2005, so like oh, thirteen and a true. half years, um, working in the social security, hated it most of the time.
0: Yeah. How did yeah. you feel about that? Because you felt like you'd had this big calling to go into ministry. Like, how did you navigate that? Like, was that a thing of like, oh, maybe I was wrong or, you know, like, or no, this that's is my ministry
1: Again, because of that idea of me being resistant to authority, I was just like, What do those a-holes know? You know? Right. Um, I'm a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh no that that's probably exaggerating a little bit, but um no, I was still certain of my call. I just didn't know how it was gonna work out. Right. Uh and of course, you know, again, you're thinking that if God calls you, it's only to the pastoral ministry. Yeah. Um, and that was reinforced at Bible school because that's the only people they would ordain were pastors. Pastors. And um, they changed a few years later to ordain evangelists as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, so. I worked in social security. I was heavily involved in church life, you know, in mm. uh, leadership teams. Prayer teams, prophetic teams, all of this pardon me, excuse me, um all of this kind of thing. So very, very heavily involved. Uh, and then, what what happened after that? I'm trying to think. Yes, um, 93, 1993. We left big charismatic Baptist church in Glasgow to plant a church in the West End. Independently, we were living <laughs> over kind of between kind of Drum Chapel and Clydebank in that area. Uh, the church we were part of that didn't feel certain about planting the church, so we said, well, we're doing it anyway. We feel that. It's in our hearts. Um, and so we started doing an alpha course in our home, gathered gathered a number of people, and just be, were doing home meetings. When a guy I knew from Bible school, he was pastoring a little small young church in... Anisland, which was about two miles from where we lived. Uh, and he was leaving to go to the States. Mm. So he ended up speaking to the superintendent uh, that, hey, you know, John did three years at Bible school. He's living in the area. Things have changed within Elam. Uh, his stance mm. on alcohol and premillennialism isn't a barrier anymore. Why don't you talk to him? And and so that's what happened in two, in 2004, uh, was it 2004? Yes, 2004, I ended up, um, sorry, I said 93. It was 2003 I left to plant the church, sorry. Right, okay. I just thought we were doing a really big rewind, but no. okay, that makes so more ni- sense. 93 was <laughs> when we joined that big charismatic church. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 2003 okay. was when we went to plant the church. And then 2004, Elam came to me and asked if I would consider taking on this little church plant that had like six or eight people in it, you know? Um, So we did that. Uh, Actually quite a few of the people we gathered in our home decided not to come with us because it Mm. was, for them, it was um, structured religion, organized religion. They didn't want to be part of that, uh, which was a shame. We kept connection with them though, you know? Um, So we start. I started doing that in September, 2004. Uh we the place was a dump, we changed all of yeah. that, you know, put carpets in, put heating in, sound system, all of that kind of stuff. The stuff you do in modern church. Yeah. Um by the time we built it up to a couple of dozen people, um, and probably only two of the original six or eight people were still with us, which mm. was actually necessary, you know. Um and we, yeah, we started so that was 2004, yeah. So 2005, I had the opportunity to go to Toronto. Okay. Uh, yeah. Catch the fire church there for a month. They were doing a leaders, um, they call it an international leader school, but it's really kind of like a retreat type of healing, you know. And during that time, there was a week with a couple called James and Denise Jordan, who are from New Zealand. Now, I'd heard James preach a couple of times in Glasgow, and I thought, this is good stuff. You know, it, it was up here for me yeah, yeah, in my head. But I think probably something had lodged in my heart, a little seed that I wasn't aware of. And so that was an extra incentive for us to go. So we went and spent a month in Toronto. Uh, I quit the social security before I went to Toronto. I'd been working part-time in church, part-time in the social. Right. I quit that, went to Toronto, spent a month there and... That week with James and Denise was probably the most devastating week of my life. <laughs> um, I mean, it, my heart was ripped out because I, wow. I began to understand all that I'd missed out on in life. I began to understand why I was rebellious or seemingly rebellious. Part of it was part of part of it was my character. Part of it was the prophetic nature that God had put in me, and part of it was just my brokenness. Um, mm. I began to understand that, but I began to understand what I'd missed out on by not being parented growing up. Right. And I hadn't really been parented. You know, my dad was disabled from pretty soon after my birth, died when I was 11 years old. My mum's got a disabled husband, three young children, all within three years of each other. You know, I think between me and my, my youngest sibling, there are 27 months between us. Wow. You know, 11 months between me and my sister. So when I'm two months old my mom's pregnant again. So but I began to realize all that I'd missed out on. I remember one of the the memories that stood out to me that really caused me a great deal of pain was I, I loved playing football soccer for those in the states. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I was I was a regular in the team at school, but if someone who wasn't a regular in the team had their dad come to watch them, I would get dropped and they would get to mm. play. And that really caused me a lot of pain and anger I remember beating up one of the boys that's I mean I was 11 years old 10 years old and I did you know and I beat this kid up uh, just because I hated him he hadn't yeah. really done anything to me but um, he just became a focal point of my anger because well my pain had to go somewhere you know mm. and unfortunately for him it it, it fell upon him because the only other person to take the anger out on was me yeah because there must be something wrong with me and i I just that was too great to bear so all of this pain is coming out during this week with james jordan and denise and i remember there's one incident (laughs) so he has everyone get together into pairs and you have to look in each other's eyes and sing instead of jesus loves me this i know you have to sing father loves me so it's like father loves me, this I know. And so people are getting into pairs and I sat like this. And I'm sitting in the front because you know that's where the anointing is the strongest, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting in the front and I've got my arms crossed and I'm just like and everything in my face is saying, fuck off. Fuck yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> and people are coming up to me and then just swerving. So they're all <laughs> yeah. they're all standing there going, Father loves and I'm sitting in my chair. You know, like dick dastardly and Muttley, Fishing, fishing. Right, yeah, yeah. Fishing, <laughs> 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 Because uh, there was just so much in pain, Phil. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with it. I remember in one one seminar in Toronto, you go into the main church and then you, you turn left up these stairs onto a mezzanine where there are offices and seminar rooms. And right at the end of the mezzanine, there were some empty offices and a little alcove. And I went and sat in the alcove and I cursed James Jordan upside down, inside mm. out. I was just like, Masters. you know, all of that kind of stuff. Cause this is all this pain is coming up and, and and it's got nowhere to go. Yeah. You know? Uh it was too painful to sit in the seminar. It was t- I mean, I I just I didn't know what to do with love. That's that was the issue. Yeah. Uh when I look back, I realised when I when I was first married, you know, we'd go to bed at night, Fiona like would put her arms around me. And some nights I would just freeze up and say, don't touch me. Wow. Because I didn't know what to do with love. I didn't know how to let it in. I didn't know how to receive it. I was afraid of what it would do to me mm. because one of the, the you know, I, I, I speak to a therapist every now and again and one of the things I was saying to her was that um, I was afraid of, of letting anyone in because there's a there's a song, Johnny Cash did a great cover of it, um Hurt by Trent Reznor. And in it he he says, you know, what if I become my sweetest friend? And it says, Everyone goes away in the end. Mm. And that was that was a core belief of mine. Everyone goes away in the end, whether they abandon you, whether they die, so don't get attached. And so I had all of this inside me and, and all of this stuff is roiling around inside me while I'm there in Toronto. Um and so it was very, very difficult week, very difficult month, <laughs> for my poor wife. <laughs> my friends, uh, who we're still friends with today, and we still see regularly, uh, that come with us, they, we talk about it now, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you were difficult <laughs> to be <Wow>. around." <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> we can Did laugh they... about we can laugh about it now, you know. But yeah, yeah, really difficult for few, and a really, really difficult. Well, I form.
0: can imagine. I can imagine. Were were you aware of of the dynamics going on or do you think this was all very like subconscious and you were just, it was making you angry, upset, defensive, all these things. Were you aware like, oh, this is because I've got stuff that I need to work on here or, you know, or were you really trying to shut this out? Like, like, how did that manifest in you?
1: I I was aware that there was work to be done, but it was painful to do it. Mm. You know, I've I've been exposed to emotional healing, inner healing, whatever you want to call it. And, and I'd would i been ministering in that area I'd received ministry in that area and I was all fixed yeah <laughs> and then I wasn't <laughs> you know you know how it goes you know. yeah absolutely um, one of the things I learned was about forgiveness uh, and that's just deep into you know because you always did the I forgive him swine <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but but actually I learned about forgiving from the heart. Mm.
0: Uh,
1: there's, there's a thing, uh, I speak about this in my, my first book, but there's a thing where um, we have this saying, you know, to err is human and to forgive is divine. Yeah. And I realised that if forgiveness is a, a divine quality, then I can't do it without some kind of divine help. Mm. And so that's where I began to approach the whole forgiveness thing like, you know, God, I can't do this. In fact, there's a lot of men here doesn't in my heart doesn't actually want to forgive. You need to change yeah. my heart to enable me to to release it because all I'm doing is tormenting myself and torturing yeah. myself. And so that that was part of the process of, of dealing with that pain. The other part of the process for dealing with that pain was actually dealing with my relationship with my mum and dad. Yeah. Um funnily enough, I think I had more problems with my mum because You always do. When one dies, it's always the living one who gets the brunt of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I began to deal with that issue. I actually wrote my mum a letter and saying, you know what, I've not been the son that you needed me or deserve me to be. Um, I remember writing it by hand, not on computer, and crying my eyes out while I was doing it. Um, As far as I know, my mum's still got the letter, but she doesn't really talk about that kind of thing. It's a bit
0: too touchy-feely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, <laughs> my mum's like my mom's a like
1: great woman. And uh, the older I've gotten, the more I've I've learned to appreciate her strength and her
0: power and mm. everything else. All I can't even imagine. got I can't even imagine losing your husband uh, who was already disabled. You were ah. looking after with three kids, all the same yeah. sort of age. Like, oh my god, yeah. yeah. And that generation as well. I mean, oh gosh, not even that generation. Even my generation in Scotland, like, we're not talking We don't we don't go
1: there. No, my mum was 33 when my dad died, you know. God. We we came home from school on the Friday and my mum just sat us down. The curtains were closed and I was like, uh-oh, something's wrong. The curtains aren't closed on a sunny Friday afternoon at four o'clock or whatever, you know. Um, my mum took us in, actually, to the bedroom I shared with my brother. And she said, you know, your dad's not coming back. He'd been in hospital for a respite. I knew what she meant, but my brother and sister were kind of like, what do you mean? I was like, ah, <laughs> wanted to kill them as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew what meant. And that day we get packed off to my cousins, so we didn't get to the funeral or anything like that. Wow. So that was a huge thing that I held against my mum. And so having to work through all of that stuff as well, you know? like
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I'm still working through childhood stuff uh, of trauma because you don't, I didn't speak to anyone about trauma as a kid. You know, when I, when I had knives held at my throat, when I was ten, eleven, twelve years old, I didn't tell anyone. Yeah, I mean, if I told my mum, she wouldn't let me go out to the places that I wanted to go out to. Yeah. So there was never any comfort in my life. You know, I learned to comfort myself: alcohol, drugs, sex. So anyway, those were the issues that I, worked, I had to work through um, while I was there in Toronto and beyond. You know. Uh, so that that month finished. Come home. Um, I'm pastoring, obviously, sitting towards the end of August uh, that year, sitting in, in the spare room, uh, preparing my sermon. Fiona comes in and she's strumming on her guitar, kind of like doing the nice Christian thing, having a bit of worship and stuff, you know. <laughs> and uh, just I what I call the presence of God, just this overwhelming sense of someone else being in the room. Mm-hmm and very heavy and weighty but but not um disturbingly so like peaceful at the same time Mm. i just sat there and i don't know it could have been two minutes it could have been 10 minutes and i heard a voice call me son um i don't think it was audible but it felt audible to me you know um and I, I just broke. I wept and wept and wept. But and I'd wept a lot with emotional healing and stuff. But this, these were different um, tears. This was like oh, it was almost like something would be taken off my shoulders. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting that God, God didn't say to me, you "No, know, like you didn't do the Star Wars thing." I am your Father. <laughs> yeah. But but it said who I am. Yeah, He identified who I am which is, I guess, what I'd never really known, who am I, you know. Um, and so that began a whole other journey. I remember that night, terrified to go to sleep in case it was gone in the morning, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't. Mm. And it, and it hasn't since then. And that was, what, August 2005. Wow. Just I've just grown in that understanding of sonship, of being fathered. And there, there have been tough moments because one of the things I've realised is if I really want to walk with God in that way, then then I need to, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he disciplines those he loves. And we, I always thought of discipline as punishment, but actually it's more like training. Discipline is more of a training thing. And so it means looking at the issues of my heart, you know, do I really want to become a better person? In Christian terms, do I want to become more Christ-like?
0: Mm.
1: Well, then I need to allow God to address the issues of my heart, the issues of my attitudes and all of the rest of it, you know. Um, and I don't just mean in terms of religious attitudes, but how do I treat my wife? How do I treat my friends? How do I, I perceive the poor? How do I perceive homosexual people or transvestites or transsexuals? Or You know, how do, how do I view these people? Because the fact is that there is not anyone in this earth that God doesn't love. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. how can I claim to be a son of God when there are areas in my heart that don't love people? You know, and so uh-huh. I realize now that when there are issues in my heart, it's an area of my heart that just needs to know love. Yeah. Um, because we get told all of this in Christianity you need to love your neighbor, you need to love, you need to. And we do things that demonstrate love, but actually, it's not coming out of love, it's coming out of religious duty or religious obligation. Yeah. And actually, yeah. I don't want to live like that. I don't yeah. believe that's how God wants me to live. But he wants me to live from a, a different place of motivation. Mm. And I believe that only love has the power to create that true motivation. Yeah. Will it Will it always be extremely altruistic? Probably not. There will, there will, pro, there will probably be mixed um, thoughts, motivations. Because I'm human. You know, I'm yeah. a guy who's been broken in life and has slowly and surely been been mended, <laughs> been put back together uh, by love. And I realise that love is the most important and most potent force in the universe. You know? Mm. Um, yeah. And so I want to learn to live in love because if I learn to live in love, then love will live in me. Yeah. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, if you do not have love, then you're a clanging cymbal, a a, a resounding gong. And that really has struck me, and it's something I I think about often. If I don't have love, not if I don't do loving things, not not if I don't perform loving acts, but if I don't have love, how do you have love? You know, it it has to find some sort of resting place and dwelling place in you. And so that's what I've been, I guess, trying to live with over the last 15 years, is how do I live in love? and create a space in my life and my heart for love to dwell yeah. Um, and become the motivating factor of, of all that I do. No.
0: That's, I mean, that's a, such a, I mean, it's profound experience, um, kind of multiple profound experiences, I guess, kind of chained on top of each other, but, um, to have something like that, that radically alters kind of like your, your foundation, like the very benchmark of like, okay, this is where we start. Um, and, you know, you talk about religion being something or, or, or most Christians do love out of a place of obligation, out of performance of we've got like these rules to uphold, we've got to tick this box, we've got to, you know, go love the poor, we've got to go feed the poor, we've got to go, you know, whatever it is, getting people same but it's obligation.
1: And here's the thing, all of those things, non-Christians do them. Yeah. They feed the yeah. poor. They care for their neighbours. So what's the difference, you know? Um, And I think a lot of people do it the same as Christians. We want to love people. Mm. And I think the world wants to know love. And so they they act out of that desire for love to be demonstrated Mm. and to be received, Um, but also because they have compassion. Yeah. Which is which within the Christian bubble is a strange concept. Non-Christians have compassion? Yeah. Well of course they do. Because they're also created in the image of God.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You
1: know? Um and so <laughs> love has there has to be something different about divine love. Um That will attract people, Mm. not to me, but to God without me having to preach at them and tell them they're dirty, rotten, miserable sinners, which I don't believe, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No. Well, it seems to me that a lot of people's, so in my experience of w- watching people kind of, um, have profound experiences where they change either within the church or come out of the church and have these compa- profound experiences, yeah. it, it does feel that most people are trying to escape this kind of, uh, religious, guilt-ridden, shame-driven, um, obligation to, to try and be loving, try and be the good Christian, try and be whatever. The, what happens is actually, Something that is very hard to exist in much of the conventional church, which is a love for self. Um, you know, like, I think what you are describing there is um, there's something about a God who relates to us as Father that, that sees us as children that that um, says, "You're my son." There's something about that relationship, that concept. I think this is part of what Jesus is hammering home: is that yes. it doesn't really matter when you're a kid your papa loves you um and there's this thing of going so my default is i'm lovable i am lovable what does it look like for me to look in the mirror and go i'm amazing i love me me this is great i think i've got flaws and whatever but actually that doesn't matter and actually that might even be part of that whole thing um that's a profound shift that often people have to walk away from a lot of conventional christianity to find I, i know atheists that get that better and therefore love in what i would call a much more divine way yeah. than many of their um christian friends um not to say that it is either or i know a lot of atheists that are terrible people and i know a lot of christians that are deeply yeah. loving profound you know like someone like yourself but who's, not, sorry but who's, to say,
1: who's to say that that's not the love of god that's that that atheist is loving other people
0: with absolutely you see well,
1: we've restricted god <laughs> we've god to the bubble the, yeah of of Christian religion yeah. but actually he exists outside of that bubble and yeah. I, I believe he, he works outside of that bubble you know um, I remember, I think I told you before I remember uh, doing some street evangelism stuff when I was at Bible school out in, in London and speaking to this Buddhist guy and, and suddenly he spoke to me and it was like that was God no that couldn't have been God that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, prophesying to me. No, but it can't be because that, he's a Buddhist. And so it's
0: like... Yeah, yeah. Stuck then, in this terrible place. You'd have to reject religion. this amazing word or we accept be, a Buddhist. <laughs> How do we if we believe that <laughs> God spoke through a donkey, then
1: surely he can speak through a Buddhist. <laughs> you know, so I think one of, one of the things I realised that this... Whole revelation of love is doing, and it has been revelation. It's not been something I've been learning from books or anything, Mm. but it's it stopped me trying to change people, and trying to fix people because I don't have the capacity to do that. And and I realise that now. You know, stop trying to change my wife. Stop trying to change people that come to me for advice. All of that kind of stuff. You know, Um, I remember the first time. I realised that was happening, was actually one of the, the girls who had come to the, the little house group which started in 2003, she was still occasionally popping into the church visits and stuff and she, she said, you know what, I'm getting a hard time from my daughter and her boyfriend. I said, why? She said, well, they've given me a hard time saying, no, you're not really a Christian. And I said, well, okay, tell me the story. She said, well, I've got a little statue of Buddha sitting on my fireplace. Um, and they keep saying, if you were a real Christian, you you wouldn't have that. You, you'd get rid of that. That's that's an idol. And, and she said, what should I do? And I was like, do you like it? She was like, yeah. I said, do you pray to it? She was like, no. Do you feel uncomfortable with it in your house? She was like, no. I said, well, keep enjoying it then. <laughs> and I thought, wow. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I'd have been like, you need to... That's not to the to advice put. you would have given. <laughs> you need to burn it. Then you need to dig a hole and bury the ashes <laughs> you know, like, and douse your house in holy water and anointing yeah. <laughs> and I realised like wow that's a huge shift mm, you know? yeah. and so that's for me that's been a, one of the biggest things that I, I, I know I can't change people and I can't fix people anymore yeah um, mm. in fact I might be slightly qualified to um, give them some spiritual advice, but not anything more than that. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, so that, that's that been a huge thing for me. Yeah. Uh, it's improved my marriage a heck of a, a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's amazing what it'll do for your relationships, every relationship, really, when you start yeah. to go... Maybe I'll try and stop. I'll, I'll stop trying to change the person in front of me and just love them, and accept that they are who they are. And maybe I should just love that. And I'll my stop God, that's to amazing me. what that does. Yeah, that's that's um, huge. No, it doesn't mean I don't address the stuff that comes up in
1: my heart, but I'm not looking for things to fix. Yeah. If some stuff comes up, then I'll talk to a therapist. I'll talk to a friend. I'll, I'll I'll pray or whatever. You know, I don't even know how to do that much anymore. praying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh so talk yeah, So talk to me about that gap so you've got you've got this profound experience you've got and and um obviously it it rooting in this very beautiful divine thing that most of us have no idea what we're even talking about where you're going what the heck is this thing love um but you know from that it feels like there's many different directions people can go. Maybe there isn't, maybe there is an inevitable drag towards, um, uh, a certain place. Um, but you are now in a place where you're like, well, oh, I'm not even sure I think about prayer or I'm not even, uh, you know, I don't want to be particularly called a Christian <laughs> um, or, no. but uh, like that, that's quite a pull that, that has happened or a, a navigation, um, away from where you were a bit yeah. like with the conversation with the, the Buddha statue, you know, you, and maybe not one that you've intellectually kind of forced yourself on like oh. I'm, I'm sure you hadn't read books about what to do with a Buddha statue if someone comes up to you or you know but it's just it, it's something that you've naturally gone oh i didn't even realize that i would have changed my opinion on that yeah. it just has over time and that's how love is just presenting yeah. um what are some of the the other ways that i guess that has challenged where you were with conventional christianity to <sighs> be moved to where you are today like like it feels like there must have been quite a few different changes for you to feel yeah it's quite been a bit different
1: there have been processes and stages i mean it's funny i was pastoring, obviously when when this all happened mm. uh i got ordained in 2008 in the may 2008 and then i left the ministry in august 2008 <laughs> <laughs> a good um, three months <laughs> so but <clears throat> Um, And that was a process of leaving them, you know, contemplation and all the rest of it. Uh, And then two years of doing nothing
0: Mm.
1: when uh, I couldn't get a job. I tried, couldn't get a job, couldn't get another church, nothing, you know. uh, And then in 2009, uh, I went to a Father Heart Ministries thing, which is the ministry James and Denise Jordan had started in the 90s. I went to an event that they put on down in Hemel Hempstead and I met some of the guys there. And and next thing I knew was I got an invitation to go out to New Zealand in mm-hmm. 2010. Uh, so I went out to New Zealand in August 2010, spent a month out there. And I can't say that there was any big profound experience, but something of the heart, the spirit, the the guts of, of what they were about kind of connected with me. I remember coming back and I was part of a prophetic ministry at the time and, and they were saying to me like, so what happened in New Zealand? They saw it was great. It was really good. They said, so what happened? You, you know, you've got a vision for the future. You know where you're going now. And I went, uh, no. <laughs> 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 no, they were like, maybe we need to talk. And I was like, no, I don't think we do actually. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right with not having any of that. Um, so that was, that was a huge thing for me. Mm. But anyway, then I they do these Father Heart Weeks, which is really the two aims of which they say is, uh, one, to give a good biblical understanding of the place of the love of God as a father in the life of a believer. And the second one is to create a space where you can experience that for yourself. And so I began to get involved in, in doing those things. And then conferences. Uh, and so from January 2011, I've been traveling around the world. I think the only continent I've not been on is Antarctica. <laughs> uh, wow. So just talking about God as a father, but pursuing that for myself, just mm. seeking to, what does it look like to live loved? Yeah. You know, I'm, I spent a bit of time looking at Corinthians 13, where Paul talks obviously about love. And I realised that he wasn't given us a recipe, but actually saying this is what love will produce in you when it ha- when you have love in you. Mm. So I realised that the, the, the aim for me as a, a believer is to allow love to possess me, if you like, <laughs> to such a degree that it grows patience in me and kindness in me and um, you get to the point where I'm not rude to people I'm -hmm. I'm long-suffering with others you know, that that kind of stuff Um, and so it's been pursuing that as I've been talking about God as a father with these places around the world some of it's Mm -hmm. been great, some of it's been okay you know Um, I'm just trying to grow in love and learning what it is to be loved, uh, because I'd never really known that. Now, my mum and dad loved me in the way that they knew how to. They provided for me. They yes. put food on the table. They put clothes on my back. You know, I never went hungry. I never went unclothed. Even if sometimes I was wearing my mum's clothes, not her dresses, just cheap pants. You know,
0: because or that's a policeman's jacket.
1: So. so <laughs> But it wasn't the kind of love that I connected with necessarily, you know. Mm. Um, the comfort, the embraces, I didn't have any of that. And so learning I didn't know what love was. I didn't understand love. Uh and so it's been learning that over the years. But that's then led me into a journey of well, if this is if this is how God wants to walk with me, live with me, how does that connect with all that I know about him to so far Mm. and so it began to love began to dismantle what i thought i knew about god you know i I thought god was angry with the world and but actually as i look through the bible uh, that's not what i see and i see it's what some people present him as Mm -hmm. it's actually not what i hear from his own heart you know that it's interesting, there's a look at all the prophets of the Old Testament and we, we focus on their angry and they're. But actually the message they've got all the time is God saying, come back to me, mm. return to me, I want you back. You know, so that made me look at, well, when did we leave him? And that yeah, goes right sure. back to the garden. Whether you believe figuratively of Adam and Eve, whether you believe literally of Adam and Eve, the fact is that God was not angry with them. You know, we look at... We look at God as a punisher of sin and sinners. but I, And we take that from Genesis. You know, Adam eats the fruit, runs off and hides in the garden. Mm. God comes looking for him and says, what have you done? Right, get out. You know, but actually when you read it, that's not what happens. No. Adam changes his approach to God. God doesn't change his approach to Adam. And even, you know, when they get put, put out of the garden, God goes with them. Because mm-hmm. the woman says, um, with the help of the Lord, I've given birth. Yeah. You know, God speaks to Cain and Abel about their dispute. And and in fact, when Cain kills his brother, God doesn't punish him. Mm-hmm. We say, yeah, but he put the mark of Cain on him. Yeah, that was a mark to, to warn people not to kill Cain. He preserved Cain's life from retribution and revenge mm-hmm. from others. And even when he puts the man and woman out of the garden, it's not a punishment. The, he gives the reason for putting them out of the garden. He says, now the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. He must not be allowed to reach out and eat also from the tree of life and live forever. Hmm. And then it says he put him out of the garden. So the reason for being put out of the garden wasn't as a punishment for sin or disobedience. It was so that the man wouldn't live forever. Yeah. Can you imagine? It, it, if the man had stayed in the garden with his wife, and eaten from the tree of life, they'd be alive today. If you believe in the the the, the physical Adam and Eve, but what would he have become? Mm. You know, I, I I always imagine him becoming something like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, this shrivelled, wizened, insane caricature of what of what a man would should be. And so, to save him from that, God put him out of the garden. Mm. He saved them from a horrific future of eternal torment, which then leads to the, the whole hell thing of eternal yeah, torment. Yeah. God saved the man from eternal torment. Why would he put man back into eternal torment? Mm. Hmm. Interesting thought. but I won't go there. Just, Yeah. Well, I mean, it
0: just does feel that like, I mean, the Bible is so, I mean, it's just a complex document, you know, and, and it's funny that we, I mean, you've done three years of Bible study, you know, our Bible um, college education on it. And um you'll know in and of yourself, like, because you've studied since then, that that barely scratched the surface, right? You came out of your Bible college that would be very passionate about, this is the eschatology to believe in. And Uh yet, if you were to ask, if they were like to go, what do you believe in? I'm actually not sure what the other options are. And it's like, well, your Bible college did not do a very good job (laughs) because at least to teach you, you need to believe this. You need to teach the other ideas to show how crap they are at the very least, right? Um, (laughs) And uh, it just, it's, it's, it feels like the average person just picking up a book, you know, I mean, um, people like you and me that get to do what we do, mostly full time, we get to spend hours a day reading about these things, studying, learning. Most yeah. people don't get the privilege. They, don't have, that they, chance. They, they, they pick up a Bible and they read the story, you know, a couple of chapters for the day is a quiet time or whatever. And they're expected to be able to, in that process, d- divine whatever God is saying um and and we have all kinds of phrases we'll throw well the holy spirit will teach you what it says on this and that but the truth is generally speaking holy spirit will teach you exactly what your pastor would say on that passage and that's about it um you know people tend not to have the most profound radical different thoughts despite the fact that the church next door the people reading it might come up with that you know you read the prophet and the prophet is angry and we go oh god gets really pissed off when we when we're wrong and it's like okay but actually that prophet was angry because we were portraying God as pissed off. So is God a pissed off God or is actually a loving God? And the, the prophet is trying yeah. to change our perspective of that. You know, it's we read but, but what there's also almost.
1: I think there's also um no I didn't set about to change my theology. Mm. And and even now I still hold a tension between what I've always held to and what I'm seeing of who God really is. You know, I think we'll always be doing that because if we really believe in in the bigness of God and the finiteness of ourselves, then we'll never get to the end of that, you know? And there'll always be new things to go, oh, oh my goodness, that's completely contrary to what I thought. And so I never set out to do that. I just set out to, to learn to be loved, you know, I remember in 2017 being in, in the US as part of one of these Father Heart schools and just standing up, introducing our, the team, introducing ourselves to the, the people and saying, you know, I think the biggest thing for me in this is that I've come to like being me. Mm. Oh, my goodness. I like being John McDonald for the first time in my life. I'm, I'm, I'll be 60 next year. Wow. And it's only three or four years ago that I realised I like John. You know, and so, so that's true. the journey I was on, really, I guess. But then as I'm learning from love about if God is love itself, then what I'm experiencing is God.
0: Yeah.
1: And so he's nothing like the one that I learned. So so it means that I'm starting to question everything um, about, about what I've of thought, I'm questioning the Bible, I'm questioning the idea of sin and salvation and everything else, um, and it's it's a difficult process. Mm. It's a confusing process because you're pulled between. If I really come out and say I'm thinking this, then am I a heretic? Am I? What am I? You know? Mm. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, but it's. It's leading me on a path where I just I just can't um, see myself aligned with the Christianity that I, I was brought into back in 1985. Mm. You know, um, God's not angry. He's, he's never been angry with us. That's why mm. the Bible says God so loved the world. He sent his son. But the gospel we've been preaching is that God is so angry with the world he sent Jesus to stop him from destroying the world. (laughs) That's the gospel we've preached for centuries now. Yeah. But actually the gospel is God loves you so much. He loved you before the foundation of the earth. In fact, before the foundation of the earth he prepared an inheritance for you. Mm. You know, that could only be realized when Christ came to change everything. Yeah. You know, and I've come to look at the cross in a whole different light. I I no longer believe Jesus took my punishment on the cross because I don't believe God in, ever intended to punish me. Mm. I believe what Jesus did was take the power of sin, if you like, and the power of death to separate us from God and killed it on the cross. He nullified its power, if you like. Yeah. I don't know why he had to do it that way through death. I don't have an answer to that. Um Maybe I will one day and maybe I'll never have an answer to it. But I believe that, you know, everything that you read in Romans and, and Colossians and everything else, it says that Jesus took everything that was against us, died, took it onto the cross with himself, died, took it to the grave. And then only one of them came out of the grave, if you believe in all of the resurrection and everything else. And so all of that other stuff that was against us was put in the grave. It's no longer we no longer need to be afraid of approaching God because of this stuff. I think Mm. the power of sin was the lie that God doesn't like you. Mm. That was the power of sin. God doesn't like you. God's against you. God hates you. And realising that that lie has been broken and that God actually welcomes us to come to him in whatever state and condition we're in. Mm. You know, straight, gay, lesbian, freak, <laughs> atheist. <clears throat> I don't know if an atheist can come to God because, yeah, that's a confusing one. <laughs> Sorry for you guys who are listening who may be atheists. I don't need to. You. <clears throat> so it's challenging all of that stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the inerrancy of the Bible. I, I mean, this is an argument that's been gone for almost 2,000 years, and it's still not settled. I believe the Bible is useful for training and instruction, as, as Paul wrote to Timothy, but every word was was dictated by God. No, because it came through um, broken human beings. Mm. So Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, we... So I'm assuming he's including himself in that as an apostle and a prophet and a writer of, of scripture. He's saying, we only see dimly. We only know in part. And so for me, does that include the prophets of the Old Testament? They only see dimly and know in part. Yeah. And so therefore, they, God did speak to them. I absolutely believe that. But their understanding of what he was saying was limited by their uh, worldview their upbringing, their culture. And so they spoke what they thought he was saying in that culture out of that understanding um, and presented God in in a way that that people could relate to and understand because it's how all the other gods around them were, the gods of the Philistines and and the Armenians or whatever, you know. And so, but then because that, that, that's when you go to Hebrew, the book of Hebrews and it says you know, in former times and in different ways God spoke through the prophets but today he speaks through his son well why did Jesus have to come if the prophets had perfectly presented the will of God because mm-hmm. what we see of Jesus in the gospel seems to be contrary to what the, the prophets taught you know he says things like you've heard it said but I'm telling you this instead and so it seemed to me that what the prophets gave us in the Old Testament was an imperfect representation of who God is. And so he had to send his son who bears the, his image, who says, I want to do what I see him doing. I want to say what I hear him speaking. Mm. Because he was the only person who could properly represent and give us the full picture of what God is really like. And th- th- this, is, this understanding for me is completely different from what I, I was taught from what I, I grew up with. Mm. from what evangelicalism told me and so it's 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 looking me down paths where i think am i a heretic now is that where i am you know am i one of these mm. <laughs> weird guys claiming to to know god and who's really off his nut <laughs>
0: yeah how do you, how do you navigate that? You know I mean? Cause there's, I mean, that's a, a reasonable fear. I mean, like, I mean, if you are like, gosh, well the prophet's got it wrong sometime uh, there's a good chance. Maybe John mcdonald has got it wrong sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's a, uh, that's a very um, unsettling thought for a lot of people to be growing and changing their views and, and challenging things that were the status quo for them. But in the back of their head to be like, well, I might be wrong. What well, if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, like how how have you gone about like navigating and coming to terms with this very rapidly and and drastically evolving faith being so different from what you once kind of thought was the thing that yeah. that was the thing you know if you didn't have that you were in you know luck you know you Yeah you know yeah um, um so it seems like it's suddenly a bit more gray or the in category has like expanded or you know like that's a, a very unsettling thing to be going through if you're kind of holding both of those on some level in yeah. tension.
1: Yeah. I don't know is a phrase that I, I've become accustomed to using. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Absolutely.
0: It's my um, number one go-to answer.
1: <laughs> it's funny because in some ways there's, a, there's still a, a certainty
0: about the reality
1: of God. Sure. Um, and a certainty about, but the certainty about him is that he is love.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, that's that's the core of his essence. And so, is this... Now, people think, well, that so you're doing away and God lets everything go and you can do what you like and God will just love you. Well, yes and no. <laughs> yes, he will still love you. But... I think walking in relationship with him is yielding to love and love does discipline you. Love does train you how to be loving, (laughs) how to walk. And I think by, by learning and yielding to that, I think that's what makes us more like him.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's not the having the right doctrine, the right theology, because that can always be corrected if it's wrong. You know, if I, if I'm wrong, that can be corrected, whether it's, through conversation with others, connecting with people like yourself or, or other people in Father Heart ministries. You know but but I wanna I want to be in love. Mm. I believe it's the only way to live. And I, and I trust that the deeper I go into love, the greater that love will hold me in a place where yeah, I might have things wrong. Or I'm not going to be going off the deep end into some sort of lunacy where I'm the new Messiah or something, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, Where I'm not going to gather a cult around me and and say, like, okay, the spaceship's coming for us now. Uh, Let's all drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. You know? Um, I just... I'm learning to trust love. Yeah. And... Not try to run ahead of it and say this is the this is the thing, because I've been wrong before <laughs> about mm-hmm. this being the thing, and I might be wrong again. But so the only thing I can remain certain about is God is good, yeah, and love is the greatest power in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are the, the kind of things I try to live with and live by. Um, yeah, and I, that's. If it doesn't look like Jesus, then it's probably not from God. I mean, all you ever see from Jesus is kindness, compassion, care, provision. And he tells us that this is what God is like. In fact, the only time Jesus is angry is with religious people Mm. who are certain about what they know and what God is like.
0: Mm.
1: They're the only people that Jesus gets angry with. I mean, these so-called sinners, he doesn't get angry with them. He's compassionate towards them. He's forgiving towards them, you know? So, yeah, I guess that's a, a line where I say, does that look like the kind of behaviour Jesus demonstrates in the Gospels? Because if it's not, then it's probably not godly. Mm. That, that That's one of, I guess, one of the things I look at. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Probably more complicated than that, but that's the concept I have.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I've talked to so many people like that, and, and certainly that's, um, certainly, uh, oh. compatible with how I kind of like view the world myself. I mean, love is kind of my, my benchmark and, and the way that I kind of, uh, navigate, and I, I just try and stay in love. Like, if I can be in love, then that to me is, is just grand. I don't really worry too much beyond that. I don't care what it's labeled. I don't care who it, uh, includes. I mean, all these kind of things is absolutely irrelevant to me. Um, but it it has, it's killed a lot of my idols. It's killed a lot of, um, a lot of my Christianity. A lot of my Christianity has not survived. um, And I'm okay with that. And I've become more uh, Buddhist and Taoist and, you know, everything else, because those things also have a bunch of love in them. Um, And so you'll (laughs) see the way I talk about something, and they'll be like, that That sounds sounds Buddhist. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, it's a really loving way to approach life. Um, I think there's a a crossover between,
1: you know, there are overlaps, I think, in different religions, and mm-hmm. thought and
0: philosophy. You know, um, yeah. Just I does. think it's, it's <laughs> just it's it's ridiculous to presume that the human race, for thousands upon thousands of years, has been trying to answer the same question: what the hell is going on? <laughs> right? I mean, that's basically the the pre- the main premise of our thrust is what the frick is this? You know, like, um, so we're trying to like frame that and go, you know, right, this collection of atoms have all kind of come together. We're flirting through space on a rocket, tens of thousands of miles an hour. And like, Nothing really feels very safe right now, and bit by bit we've built a bit of certainty, safety. We've yeah. got some food, some houses, some relationships, and we're like, oh, this feels a bit more, feels a bit safer. Um, you know, the, the the crazy wild. I mean, just watch a documentary, like a David Attenborough documentary. You're like, geez, I wouldn't want to be a rabbit. It looks terrifying, twenty four seven, or you know. Um, and and so we've created this whole world and narrative where actually it's kind of nice to be a human. I definitely prefer being a human to a rabbit or whatever. food oh, um, certainly a wild one. <laughs> um, but uh, there's, there's this component where we have built these realities and this narrative of like, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be Phil. This is what it means to be on earth or whatever. And it is ludic- uh, it is ludicrous to think that we haven't, in separate cultures that have been disconnected from one another, that we haven't come to some of the same conclusions. And it's also ludicrous to think that they would be identical conclusions. Uh, you know, so it's, of course, uh, if you go and uh, look in uh, the, the depths of uh, Asia, of course, they came to slightly different conclusions on what it means to be human and what this existence means to um, people in the kind of Mesopotamian, Middle Eastern region that became Jew, you know, Christians, But, of course, they also agree that, you know, being present is a good thing. Being loving is a good thing. Learning to love yourself is a really powerful thing. Like, huh, who would have thought? I think Um, think we forget.
1: Sorry. I I think we forget the things we base our religion on, if you like. We we take it directly out of the Bible. But we don't necessarily take into account the cultural context. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because the cultural context is there in the Bible doesn't mean that God endorses it. The Bible is just yeah. saying this is what it was. You know, but we've kind of we seem to have taken some of it as this is this is God's way. Well no, no, this is a description of the cultural context in which the prophets were speaking or or God was speaking or Jesus was living. And you need to recognise that. Mm. that there's a cultural backdrop that the prophet is speaking into or speaking about and not necessarily his speaking is not necessarily an endorsement of it. He's just saying, this is the way it is, you know? And I don't know if we recognize that. I think that's one of the things that Jesus tries to do in the gospels. He tries to combat that and say, just because that's the way it was doesn't mean to say it's the way God wants it to be, Sure, you know? And so, I think I think it's the same in any culture. You know, you need to recognise that just because it's part of the culture doesn't mean to say it's the right way or it's a good way or it's a beneficial way. You know. Mm. So, you know, the missionaries go to I don't know, Papua New Guinea, and the first thing they do is not not stop them cutting people's heads off and, and eating them, but put some clothes on. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> You know that that's that, that's the thing they're offended about, yeah, <laughs> not yeah, the chopping yeah. off of heads. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. because you, know, you should be decent, <laughs> a good Puritan people. Yeah. yeah, but that's not that wasn't Papua New Guinea culture. Yeah, you know they didn't get aroused because they saw naked people. Yeah, they're that was Normal life. <laughs> it was normal life. You know, yeah. um, and so. I don't think we always consider the cultural context or cultural implications of the things that we uh, endorse or adopt. Yeah, we just um, we just go, yeah, that's all part of the package. When it's not necessarily so.
0: Yeah. Well, the way we wipe the (laughs) Bible with the current culture is just—it cracks me up. Like, I, I there was a popular thing I think last week. Um, Harry Styles, a pop star, like dressed in a dress. Um and everyone, oh everyone and their mum had something to say. But all these Christian leaders were going, Oh, this is disgusting, the 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 falling apart of like, you know, society that Harry Styles isn't wearing trousers, you know, they said pants or whatever. And I was laughing because well you're a Scot as well, and I'm like, Oh, okay, so what would what, what we you do if you went into Scotland? And okay, we don't wear kilts very often these days, most of us. Um <laughs> But, you know, go to a formal event in Scotland and you'd be, oh my gosh, the, this fallen, you know, a good chunk of the new All be these Christian, men showing them you know? these. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then and
1: again, so, when I think about it, Phil, you know, when I was going clubbing in the 80s, there were guys that would come into the club wearing a dress and a pair of Doc Martens.
0: Absolutely. Well, <laughs> people, people were laughing that about it you know, you know it, like, oh, it just shows the sign of the times that these pop stars these days are wearing a dress. I'm like... Do you remember, like the seventies, sixties? I mean, Bowie, um, Elton John, Prince, Freddie. You know, I mean, yeah. all these different people were doing wild and wacky things. You know, George Michael or whoever, I don't know. Like, it's 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 fascinating that we 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 rewrite our history to fit our narrative, and we, and we do it in the Bible, right? We read the Bible, and all the guys are wearing trousers, right? Jesus is walking around wearing a pair of trousers. You know, they're wearing a pair of Levi's or something. It's like no, he wore a big robe, but basically a dress. He you wore a bomber. All the guys. <laughs> um, and, and so it's and then we do it with marriage or any of these things, right? Oh marriage looked like what it did today where we marry people for love and it's like, no, everyone there wow. married because of family arrangements and things like that and it was quite common to have concubines and other marriages involved and like that was in the good Jewish community that was God fearing would still do all these things. Uh-huh. It wasn't that big a deal, right? We No one really cared that Solomon had 600 wives. The only issue was that he, wait, was he sold some horses to Egypt. That was the issue, right? It's, it's the Papua New Guinea scenario, right? It's like God's yeah, like gone, yeah. uh, what we had, 600? Nah, what it was like it, 630 maybe? Oh, wait, no, he sold some horses. We're done. That's it. Solomon's well, over. Well, it's funny. I was, I was, I was speaking with someone yesterday that about domestic abuse
1: and stuff and they'd written a poem because they, they they'd suffered abuse and they wrote a poem about it and it had some swear words in it and she said um you know in her book she says you know if you've got more of a problem with the swear words in this than the fact that i was abused then you've got a problem <laughs>
0: yeah yeah you are actively part of the the system that supports yes. abuse uh, at the end of the day oh. that that is really what what we're oh. talking about and yeah um yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's that's Tony Campolo who was really famous for that, wasn't he? He would always say oh, that indeed. he was the one that coins the like, you know, that like, there's a million people dying because of no fucking water or whatever. And um, people would be like, "Oh, we can't have Tony Campano back in our church. And he's like, that's what you heard in that sentence. Yeah. Not a million wow. people die every year for no water. Or, you yeah, know. Like, and, that was the point. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone, everyone that's a cool pastor has done that at some point now. Um, well, but, it was not Driscoll not known in America as the cussing pastor. Yeah. There you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, Mark, I was remembering Mark the other day with someone and we were having a good laugh. Oh, what a guy, what a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about trauma. Um, yeah, I would ne- wouldn't necessarily endorse his views, but <laughs> no, I don't know what his views are is days. Who knows? No, I don't know. Uh, now. I know. I, no I know idea. when
1: when everything blew up. Um, one of the first people to reach out to him was Paul Young. Oh wow! That's Paul reached out. Paul reached out to him and said, "Like, dude, I'm here." You know. Yeah, he's, that's, what love, that's what love looks like. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know people. Um, I'm interviewing someone tomorrow. They fell from grace, if you want to put it that way, uh, and dropped like a hot coal. You know, and it's just like love doesn't do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yep. Um if if we really are loving communities, we don't drop people because they screw up. We help put them back together again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? there's there's such a need to the the veneer. There's such a huge need to have this nice, polished, clean looking, you know, you need to avoid the appearance of evil. Um, everything needs to look good, squeaky and clean that we are so quick to throw people under the bus. In, in you can only do There's your evil no question. when the door's closed. <laughs> mm, yeah. Oh, yes, it's fascinating. You're,
1: right.
0: you're right. Mm. But it's, what's interesting is in an equal component is how quick we forgive those at the top, however. Um, So there's a component in play where I think there was a study on this. It was really fascinating, but they looked at how likely people are to be removed from church or, or kicked out of church for, I think it was adultery or something. And what was interesting is the higher up you were, the less likely you were to be kind of ostracized from the community mm-hmm. Um because there was a component of, there was almost this, this component of look how gracious we are. Look at, we forgive we, we practice this, but we only do it when the, the person is high enough that it's going to cause us major issues or, or it can be a, yeah. a very public look it at can us. Be embarrassing. the forgiving thing or, um and, and it's, 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 we're constantly playing the game in two different fields or I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Thing.
1: Because, I know there have been instances where, where men have been kicked out and brought before a panel and all the, and the panel's disciplined them and judged them and, and there are guys sitting on the panel with the same issue
0: mm-hmm.
1: in their lives. You know, it's just like, come on, let's let's map to love. Love doesn't necessarily ignore the fact that you've screwed up, but it doesn't condemn you. I don't believe even con- God condemns you for screwing up. I believe what he wants to do is pick you up and put you back together again. Hmm. And if we, if the church is really his body, then isn't that what we should be a part of doing? We should be a part of picking someone up and putting them back together again, so that they like themselves again. Because when you screw up, you hate yourself. Yeah, you know. Um, even if you don't get caught, you, you hate yourself while you're screwing up. Yeah, you yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so part, Love just picks that person up and, and puts them back together and say, you know what, you're still worth something. You're yeah. still worth loving, you're still worth investing in, and you still have something to contribute. Yeah. But actually religion says you're finished. Mm. That's it, you're done. And yeah. we wash our hands
0: of you. Yeah. You
1: know, that's just so sad.
0: I look at like how important, I mean, a lot of recent studies in the last kind of 10, 15 years have shown how important, um, vulnerability and being open and, and, and just, you know, bearing your soul is in relationship, in loving yourself, in, you know, uh, not living under huge weights of shame and guilt. Wow. Um, and it just makes me think of the church because we, we just do not do that. You know, we, we, we do the shame cycles and the guilt cycles, but, it, there's a need for those in charge, for those that are uh the the the, the best guys, the good guys, the, the the top guys, always guys as well. Um, they all have to be squeaky clean, you know? Um because God forbid you found out your pastor was also addicted to porn. But what's interesting about the dynamic is actually it's been proven again and again and again when the pastors and the leaderships or whatever else go, look, yeah, I've got a problem with this as well, and I'm I'm not I'm trying to figure it out or whatever actually helps massively all the all the little guys, you right, all the people that are literally day in, day out feeling absolutely shit like that. There's something about going, oh, oh, my pastor also is trying to figure out how to walk the walk on this one as well. And because those
1: guys are sitting thinking, man, I'm a terrible Christian. Yeah. I'm a, I'm absolutely. an awful husband. I'm a terrible human being. You know, and and actually my objection to pornography is nothing to do with religious morality. Mm. You know, it's actually, I just think it's a destructive force in relationships and in women's lives, especially. Yeah. You know? But that's a whole other topic.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the sexual ethics have talked about that in quite a few different contexts, but um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to be said um, mm-hmm. in a lot of different areas about it. But um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You know, people ask me all the time, like, how, how do I deal with struggling with porn? And I was like, the first thing you need to do is stop struggling. Right. Stop thinking this is some sort of epic battle that you're trying to overcome and win, and you know, like the 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 fact that you are making this a huge cosmic deal where God's sitting there going, "Oh, uh, there's a genocide happening." Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Simon's wanking. We need to get on top of that. Put the genocide aside, Gabriel and Michael. We need to get on top of this over here because he's 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 having a look at something he shouldn't you know. What I think are it, we talking about? I think when we we look at things
1: like pornography alcohol, drugs It's what, what is the underlying issue? Yeah. Pornography is not the issue it's just a symptom mm-hmm. what is the issue what is the the pain what is it you're trying to comfort what is it you're afraid of that yeah. that pornography helps you to cope with you know and I think for me I mean I struggled with pornography for years um, and I came to that place where realising like, pornography is not my issue yeah. my issue is something in my heart you know, and so, again, you know, I've said it already, but for, for me, the focus of, of my life is, like, what's going on in my heart? Because yeah. that's, well, and again, if you're into the Bible, the, the Bible tells you in Proverbs 4, like, your heart is the wellspring of life. So mm. is there something polluting the wellspring? Because it's, it's not the pornography that's polluting it. It's something else. It's pain, it's brokenness, it's fear, yeah. it's shame. Um And I think your pornography issue, if you like, uh, gets addressed when you look at the issues here rather than yeah. the issues on your screen, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I see this again and again, and, and I think this is a, a, the fruit of the purity movement, according to a lot of experts, is a lot of very unhealthy marriages and, and, and relationships because the church does have an answer to. You struggling with porn and masturbation or whatever else, get married, right? It's, yeah. it's a, uh, oh, I you struggled struggling with, with it when I was married. Or this. And, and well, good. Oh, I'm sure your partner, you know, whether you're a male or female, I'm sure your partner is so thankful that that's how you dealt with your issue rather than dealing with the actual issue, you know? I mean, I have a and it creates, yeah, well, it, it creates a bunch of codependency or whatever. you mean, if you aren't healthy and can't be in a room on your own and be content, without going, oh, maybe I'll, you know, do this or maybe I'll do that or maybe I feel this, like, if you can't, you know, sit without feeling shame and guilt or whatever, like, you're going to start displacing a lot of crap onto other people that you're dragging into your life to try and fix you. The the (laughs) Um, thing is,
1: I mean, one of the things that that shows, one, getting married doesn't stop you playing with porn. I know that from experience. (laughs) Um, And two, what porn is doing to relationships. I mean, they're saying that, uh, looking at the statistics that and I was speaking to this lady yesterday, Natalie Collins, and she was saying that statistics show there's something like a 70% increase in ch- women being choked, spat on, violently having their hair pulled during consensual sex.
0: Mm.
1: And where are the guys getting it from? They're getting it from porn, which they use to alleviate the feelings of of not being enough of a man. Yeah. And so then they, they act out manliness that porn's told them uh, by pulling her hair, yeah. spitting in their girlfriend's face during consensual sex or throttling her, or, or or putting her hands over her mouth and nose because that's what they see. Oh. In the, and, you know, because the thing is, you start off looking at pictures of women's breasts and then you start looking at pictures of their vagina. Then you start looking at videos and then you start looking at Hardcore, and I, you know, it, it's like everything. It's like drugs. It's like alcohol. It just it progresses, yeah. And actually, it's not the real issue. The issue is is something inside you that's broken, mm. or or wounded. You know, yeah. That's yeah. that's a conclusion I came to from my own life. Yeah. I think it's
0: probably pretty similar for a lot of men. I'd imagine a lot of people. I think one of the fact that we have this toxic masculine guard. Um, that if we don't look like that and, and we are supposed to, look, I mean, it's gonna come out as, as creating this, this, um, gap between our masculinity and our, and our identity, uh, as, a, as a, a guy. Um, for a lot of people, especially where the, the statistics show that men in the church are much more feminine than men outside the church. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. It's because they spend hours a day, like, you know, introverting and, 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 introspective and, and journaling and praying. And those are things that, that make you more emotional, make you, they're, they're more intentional but, with the relationships. It's in interesting certain because ways. And, in, in, a lot of
1: churches now, there's a movement to, for men to more be, manly. Um, yeah. Like, to me, that displays an unnervingly
0: a, a ignorance of what a man is. <laughs> yeah. A huge insecurity. A yeah. huge insecurity. Um, yeah. I think there's someone said recently, I can't remember. I'm going to butcher the quote, but they basically said, um, you can tell how the church treats women by their fear of men being in any way, shape or form feminine. Yeah. And I think like, that sums it up. It's a lot of it is to do with I I when I was studying my series, I was I taught a series on homosexuality. Uh, when I was studying that, reading a lot of history is fascinating because homosexuality is not historical, but homoeroticism, it's it's the yes. act of homoeroticism. What's interesting is in almost every culture, it's not wrong to have sex with a man. It's wrong to be receiving sex from a man, so to penetrate another man, not a problem historically. No, no one it. cares. But to be yes, penetrated, I remember reading that's that, the, the issue. of
1: cultures and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and and so the, the the component there was. I remember reading one passage where they were talking about these um, these Roman citizens that were uh, were Roman uh, soldiers, ravaging this town, going through, and they were murdering everyone, and they were raping everyone, and all this different stuff. And it said, and, and, and this, this is an ancient document, so it's, it's funny how it's written, because it says all this stuff matter-of-factly. You know, they were murdering everyone and raping everyone, and and they were drowning babies and bashing babies' heads on the walls and for other mothers. And they did it dressed as women. Could you believe it? And that was the offence. The offence was that these Roman soldiers dressed as women. Um And so there's this, this, this huge well, well, that's, obsession that's with challenges. not changing these... Yeah. Nice drawn lines between man and woman. Well, that was the
1: charges they brought. The church brought against Joan of Arc because she wore mm. men's clothing, and she yeah. she said that she wore men's clothing when she was imprisoned to stop them from abusing her and raping her. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, God help us get. for that. You know, it's just it's crazy. But the, it's interesting when I was writing my book, uh, Made his Image. Uh, it's a bit misogyny and. And then looking at what did the scriptures really say about women ministry and blah, blah, blah. But but just discovering that and looking, I mean, I spent a couple of chapters talking about the femininity of God. Mm. Um, probably offended a few people. But, oh, I have no doubt. But actually, it, it's all over scripture, God's yeah. femininity. You know, it must be because the woman is made in his image. <laughs> mm. You know, um, that's one of the, it's, it's a thought for another book, actually, is to, uh, the feminine heart of God. Mm. Um, yeah, it. I don't know, but yeah, but we we don't like to acknowledge that, do we? The, yeah. you know the whole God, Lord God Almighty, you know, El Shaddai. Um, yeah, a lot of people would say that is actually talking about breasts. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I talk about it in the book about the roots of it, and you see it in different parts of scripture where Shad is is speaking about breasts so they, they talk about God as the many-breasted one and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but somehow we've translated it to Lord God
0: Almighty. <laughs> this masculine champion. As, as strong and manly. and Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Let's try it. Marble the, man, you know, he's well. got his
1: Stetson on, smoking his
0: roasted tobacco. <laughs> yeah. This 28-pack. <laughs> yeah. uh, John, this has been really great. I, I don't want to um, hold you up too much longer, but... Um, I have really enjoyed chatting and maybe we can jump into uh, another chat at some point in the future and go into some other bits and pieces. But um, I just love what you're doing. I love that um, you are still straddling that world very, very well and beautifully and helping people that are in um, uh, maybe more fundamental uh, Christianity um, feel permission. I think that's one of the beautiful parts of the father heart is, is the, they go into churches and they, they do go into the Bible and they give you good Bible reasoning for yeah. starting to have an experience that's I, beyond. That's one of right. the things yeah. for me, because
1: yeah. that's what it's I was cool. introduced to as a, as a believer. The the Bible is the foundation kind of thing, you know, Yeah. Um. it's funny. I've had, I've had discussions with fundamental people who have rejected the whole father heart thing because I told them God wasn't angry and didn't punish, punish the man and woman in the garden. Yeah. So they've rejected the whole thing because I, I,
0: I, I can well imagine it. Just, people are rooted uh, in their interpretations, and there is no other interpretation. There is no other way to read it. There is no way to see it. But um, I really do love what you're doing, and I think it's it's a hugely important thing. And and I think you know, in this journey of evolving faith and 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 change and growth, there's few things like bringing people into an experience of learning to love themselves and and learn that they're lovable and valuable and amazing. That changes so much, and, and like you've experienced, it opens you yeah. up to some radical change in life and, and theology and experience. How can people connect with what you're doing? Like, you've got a podcast, you've got your books. I mean, right. like, give us give us some ways that people can connect.
1: Well, I have I have the website sunship.co.uk, um, and that'll have links to my podcast. the have podcast with John McDonald. Links to um, various other things that I do. Great. And then are you on social
0: media? Are you quite active on social yeah, media? Yeah, I'm on
1: Twitter. Um, okay. At one John Mac. Uh I'm on Facebook. Yep. Uh, I've, I've got about five different pages on Facebook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Will they
0: find them through your website and stuff? I'll, I'll yeah, try and find one. Yeah, like really yeah there's links on my website
1: about... to Facebook, to Twitter, yeah. to, um, right. as I see, the podcast, I think. Um, Instagram as well. You know, so there's links to all those things
0: on the website. Wonderful. Why well, we'd encourage people to check you out. And, uh, yeah, it, it's been really great to ch- chat and catch up and, and dive into great. your story more. Uh, that was yeah. great
1: fun to catch up with you, mate.
0: Absolutely. I love it. I love it. It's good. Um, good to see, really good to see. Hope you okay. guys are doing well. You recover, uh, yeah, from your, yeah. your stint of COVID and, uh, yeah, we're we'll get back to full health. Kuna's a little soon. bit behind
1: me, but I'm, I'm
0: almost, I'm almost fully over it. Yeah. You're going to be doing your shuttle runs up and down the stairs soon. <laughs> 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 workout. Out. <laughs> 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 All right. Love you, man. I'll catch you later. Yeah. Love you, bro. Take care. All right. Peace. Bye All right. So that was John McDonald. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to check out more of John's stuff, I'd check out sunship.co.uk. Great place to start. His podcast, of course, that he mentioned, the ABBA podcast. Um, I think I've been on that. There's an episode called What is Deconstruction um, that that I've been on. Um, You can check out his Twitter and his Facebook. I've linked to those in the show notes as well. Um, And so, yeah, do check out John, uh, especially if you feel like you're in a very similar place, if you're still holding on to a lot of your um, Christian faith, if you're wanting to reframe Christianity rather than let go of Christianity. Um, uh, as the process of your deconstruction. Um, John is a great person to check out. He really um, does capture what it might be for God to be truly a loving Um, beautiful, gracious, merciful, kind father um, rather than uh, maybe what God was portrayed to us uh, for many of us uh, growing up in church and and for John growing up in church. Um, And so, yeah, he's definitely got some great stuff to explore um, from that angle. Uh, He's got some books and stuff as well. And so, yeah, check it out, sonship.co.uk or links in the show notes to his um, his, uh, social media podcast, stuff like that. Um, if you are going through your own deconstruction, if you feel lonely in that process, do check out the network.com. It's a free resource to help you connect with other people in your local area. If you'd like to support what I'm doing, you can do that at phildrystill.com partner or patreon.com slash phildrystill. Any uh, support on there? It uh, allows you to access a private um, discussion group that we have. It gives you access to um, monthly Zoom calls that we do. We're doing our next monthly Zoom call um, at the end of this week, maybe uh, beginning of next week. We've not set a date quite, Um, but if you get in quick, you might get in for this uh, last uh, group Zoom of the year. Um, Nothing I do costs anything. Everything is always going to be free. The podcast, talking to you guys, connecting with you guys, helping you in your journeys. Everything I put out is always going to be free. So there's never any requirement for you to give. But um, if you are able to support what I'm doing, um, there's a few perks to say thank you um, in that manner. Um, Yeah, that's everything, really. I will see you again on Thursday for another episode. Peace, guys.